on, somebody. What do you know about that? Let's go. Happy New Year, Go Church. How you feeling? You feel good? You love Jesus. Come on, how about that? There we go. Loving Jesus. Hey, uh, tremendously honored to see all of you here today on what is kind of a rain, rainy, yucky weekend. But in the Bible, uh, all through Scripture, rain is a sign of blessing. So let's just bless this new year with a little bit of rain from heaven. Come on. And so we're just honored to have you, honored to see you. To everybody watching online today, uh, I understand with the weather and then some people are battling some sickness. We got people watching online from home or maybe you're checking us out for the first time via online. We welcome all of you. And then to our extended family in the Germantown, Maryland area in the greater Washington, D.C., we got a campus there. So we greet everybody in Germantown. So come on, you got a big job in this room. You kind of set the whole tone for everybody online and in Germantown. So can you put your hands together, make some noise for everybody watching. Come on, tuning in, whoever you are, wherever you are. God bless you, love you. Yeah. And then uh, we have a tradition that we do here at Go Church. So if you're new to Go Church, this is something that we do regularly before we get into the word together. We always pause to give honor to the brave men and women that serve in the military, uh, those who have served and those who are currently serving, as well as all of the, the courageous first responders. So if you fall into that category, I, I pray that this moment of applause and appreciation is just a lot of encouragement to you. So come on, Go Church family. Let's honor those men and women that are serving. Come on. Can you take your volume up a notch for them? Come on, let's go. There it is. Good. I want to give you one verse here before we get into the new series today. Um, this verse really, I believe in my heart, is something that the Holy Spirit showed me a couple of months ago. So at the end of every year, I begin to pray about, okay, Lord, what's, what's the word of the year for the new year? And maybe you do that for your, for your family. You know, you just want that word that you can hold on to for promise and, and all of that. And before God gave me a word, he gave me a verse. And for the last couple of months, I've just been kind of sitting on this particular verse. I've dropped this verse in different gatherings and different moments uh, just to kind of put it out there to encourage people along the way. For the next few Sundays, though, I just want to speak this verse over you. Genuinely, I believe that this verse is the verse of the year for my family. I believe this verse is the verse of the year for our church family. And if you're looking for a verse or a word to hold on to for your family in this new year, genuinely, I believe it's Psalm 65, verse number 11. Different translations read it a few different ways, but I love how the New International Version reads this verse and it says this, watch, you crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Come on, somebody. And even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. Does anybody receive that? Come on, that is just so good. And that's my prayer for you, is that this year, may God crown your year with a bountiful harvest. And may even the hard pathways, the difficult seasons, the challenges, the, the obstacles that we face in 2022, may even those moments overflow with abundance. So here's what I'm declaring, and I say this with great respect to God, but I'm just declaring that 2022 for the Worley household, for Go Church, and for your family is the year of God's goodness. Come on, do you receive that today? It is the year of God's goodness. What that doesn't mean is that everything we face this year is going to be good. There are going to be some hard moments, right? 
But what it does mean, and the old school church said it this way, that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And I just pray that this year for you and your family is the year of God's goodness. Uh, We even got a little song that we're singing around here a lot that says, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. And God really has been good. He's been good to us through the last two years of the pandemic, even with great challenges and great loss, the sovereignty of God has still remained. And I'm just confident that this year, this new year is gonna be the year of God's goodness and everything that the devil meant for evil, God will turn that thing around and he will get good. So can we just thank God for his word today? Come on, there we go. All right. Let me pray for you today. You pray for me. Jesus, thank you for the start of this brand new year. You really are good. Even when we don't see what you're doing, we know that you're working. Even when we can't figure things out on our own ability, we know that you are faithful and that you have a perfect plan. And so for that, we just stand on great peace in our hearts, knowing that we serve a God that is faithful through it all. And I don't know what 2021 has been like for so many people, but I'm anticipating that this new year is gonna be a year where we experience the goodness of God in so many ways. So as we start off this year on the first Sunday of 2022, I pray that you would allow me to speak a message that you put in my heart, that through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit would bring transformation, life change. This isn't a message that I'm preaching because I feel like people need to hear it. This is a a message that I'm preaching because myself included, we need to live it. So I speak against distraction today. I pray for the next, you know, 35 minutes or so that we'd be able to listen to what the Holy Spirit would say. And that through it all, through the worship, uh, through the ministry moment, through the prayer, through this word, I pray Jesus that you are glorified and you are lifted high. So we give you thanks and we love you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, you've clapped a lot. Can we give it up for Jesus? Come on, let's do that well, come on. (laughs) Hallelujah. All right, so today we're starting a brand new series. And just so you know, we're gonna stay in this series for seven weeks and we're calling it Get in the Game, Get in the Game. Now, you saw the bumper video. We call that a little sermon bumper video. A moment ago, you see the graphic. Um, You kind of felt hyped, you know, I felt hyped, felt like dancing. Come on, somebody. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, I was sitting on the the couch, putting some final touches on on the the, the presentation here and just kind of letting the word kind of soak and sit. And Lakeland, my son, was beside me and he caught a glimpse of this graphic and he's like, hey, what is that? And I was like, well, it's a new series. We're calling it Get in the Game. And he goes, I'm going to like that series. And I said, well, I hope everybody likes that series. He's like, nah, this one's good, Dad. And I was like, how do you know? He's like, it's all about sports. Come on. And I said, well, bud, I don't want to disappoint you, and I don't want to disappoint any of you, but this series is not all about sports, although I do want you to notice the Braves World Series win right there. Come on, somebody. How about that? And can I get a go dogs? Come on, go dogs. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Father, touch him. The altar's open. (laughs) I digress here. The series is not about sports, but the idea, there is a parallel. There is not an athlete that you know or I know that signs up to play any particular sport, 
with the desire to, to sit on the bench. Every athlete wants to what? Get in the game. You know, they want to get in the game. They, they want to play. They want to participate. And so for the next seven weeks, and I really want you to listen to the direction that we're going, because this is important. Uh, this is really the heart of our team, from our, our executive staff, our leadership team, all the way down to those that serve uh, at the board of trustees, to the elders. For the next seven weeks, we're going to look at getting in the game in these areas. Today, we're going to talk about getting in the game with the spiritual discipline of prayer. Next Sunday, we'll talk about the discipline of fasting. Uh, the next Sunday, we'll talk about reading the Bible. I want to give you some practical ways that you can journey through Scripture and read the Bible. We're going to talk about getting in the game with small groups and getting connected to a community so that you don't have to do life alone in 2022. We're going to talk about getting in the game with sharing your testimony, sharing your faith. I'm going to try to help you learn how to evangelize the gospel. How many of you know somebody that needs Jesus? Come on. So I help you evangelize the gospel. We're going to talk about getting in the game with stewardship and with tithing. And then we'll conclude the whole series talking about getting in the game with serving. You've got gifts. You've got talents. You've got abilities. And now using this year to say, okay, God, I want to get in the game. I want you to use those gifts and talents to advance the kingdom of God through the local church. Now, if you're visiting today or maybe you're trying church for the first time, you're wondering, how smart is that pastor up there? I'm going to prove it to you. All right, I'm going to show you just how smart I really am. The reason we're doing this series and we're journeying through those seven different topics is because of this. This year, here it is, it's absolutely brilliant. Sometimes I shock myself with the in intelligence. This year will not be any different from last year unless you do something different from what you did last year. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's free, by the way. That's worth the price of admission right there. I went to college to get that kind of revelation from the Lord. This year is not going to be any different from 2021 unless you decide to do different things. So the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And this applies to any area of your life. If you want to be in a better financial place, you've got to make better financial choices. You want to be in a healthier physical place, you've got to put down the little Debbies. Can I get an amen? Like you, if you want, some of y'all felt conviction already. If you want different results, you've got to do different things. And the same is true with our spiritual walk with God. If we want to grow deeper in this new year, we've got to cultivate those disciplines at a greater level or we have to do things this year that we've never done before. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to unpack these but because it's January the 2nd, I want to give you two that you can start doing immediately right now. First is this. Join us for Deeper 21, all right? 21 days of prayer and fasting. We pray corporately as a church family. We fast privately because that fast is between you and the Lord. But for 21 days, we come together and we pray and we fast. We started yesterday at both of our locations. Over 100 people showed up to pray and to just seek God. It was so powerful so each Saturday during the 21 days at 8.30, we'll come together for an hour. Monday through Friday at 6 a.m., uh, we'll come together for one hour. Our Germantown campus, how about this? They got a snowstorm coming tonight. So weather permitting for your in-person gatherings for Deeper 21. But for us here, there ain't no snow coming this way. So if your schedule allows, we'd love for you to come out in person Monday through Friday, 6 a.m., and then Saturday at 8.30. If this season of life, because you got a job or kids or just whatever, you can't get out in person, download the Go Church app. You can follow daily devotionals there. And of course, you can pray from anywhere. Come on, you can fast from anywhere. But I want you to go on this journey with us. And then the second thing that you can do, and they're going to make this a little larger on the screen. And if you could take out your cell phones, I'd love for you to do this. 
But I'm going to invite you to read the Bible with me in 2022. We're going to read Scripture chronologically. Um, and so you can just scan this QR code. It'll directly take you, if you've got a smartphone, it'll directly take you to the YouVersion app that we're using. I will let you know that YouVersion only allows groups of 150. So for the first 150 people that get in, you know, you're in. So I don't know what happened after the first gathering, but I'm pretty confident there's some spots available. And this is a great time to start this discipline of, of, of praying and fasting and Bible reading. So let's read the word together in 2022. Let's read the Bible all the way through. And I don't want to get ahead of my sermon in a couple of weeks about scripture reading, but I, I like to say this. We think that we're reading the Bible, but the Bible is actually reading us. And every time you open up God's word, there is conviction that comes from it. And so I just want to journey chronologically with each of you, 150 of you at least, in 2022. Let's read the Bible together. Is that good? Okay. So then today, let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about the discipline of prayer. I'm going to show you a few verses here out of Matthew chapter 17. And I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to use these verses or this particular story this Sunday and next Sunday because it applies to both disciplines of prayer and fasting. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 17. I'll show it to you here on the screen in a moment. But let me give you just a little bit of context building up to Matthew chapter 17 here. When you get to Matthew 17, you'll see that Jesus, so he's got 12 disciples, right? He invites three of his disciples to travel with him to the top of a mountain. This whole encounter, this whole experience is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. So the beginning part of Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain. At the top of this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of God is revealed. And the Bible says that the face of Jesus shines bright as like the sun and his, his, his robe, his clothes shine extremely bright white. Well, Peter gets excited and he says, Lord, it's really good to be here. Uh, Moses and Elijah appear. They have a conversation with Jesus. And Peter says, it's good to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But obviously Jesus said, you know, we can't stay here on top of the mountain. We're going to come down off of the mountain. And that's where we pick up in verse number 14. So imagine Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, they just encounter this supernatural theophany of God, this experience, the glory of God revealed, right? The Shekinah glory of God. They come down the mountain and this is, this is what happens immediately. They are overwhelmed by the crowd of people. So the crowd must have been waiting on Jesus to, to descend from the mountain. And a particular man from the crowd approaches Jesus and this is what he says. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son. My son is sick, uh, my son is ill. Another translation talks about how he's demon possessed. He says, often he falls into the fire and sometimes he'll fall into the water. And then watch verse number 16. Now remember, Jesus has 12 disciples. He takes three disciples with him to the top of the mountain. And this man says, you know, I brought my son to your disciples. So the other disciples that remained on the bottom of the mountain he brought this demon-possessed boy to them, and he said what? He said, and they could not cure him. Well, this upset Jesus. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not taking it out of context. The very next verse, you see Jesus turning and rebuking his disciples. 
And here's what he says. He says, you unbelieving, on the count of three, everybody shout unbelieving, one, two, three. Unbelieving and perverted generation. Let's say that, one, two, three, perverted generation. I mean, he describes them very vividly. And he says, you unbelieving, which if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, means you do not have enough God. You have little faith. So you unbelieving people, you don't have enough God, you don't have enough faith. You perverted generation, which means you're too close to the world. And can I tell you that it is not God's desire for us to be like the world. If we are in Christ Jesus, we're to be set apart. Can I get a good amen? And if you're wondering, holiness is still God's standard of living. That's the goal, holiness. So Jesus says to them, he says, you're a bunch of unbelievers. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough God. And you're perverted. You're, you act too much like the world. And then he says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he says, bring him to me. And watch this. Now Jesus turns his rebuke from the disciples and he gives the rebuke to the demon. And he rebukes the demon-possessed boy and the demon comes out of the child and the boy was cured immediately. Well, as you can imagine, being rebuked in front of a large crowd would be quite embarrassing. You've probably experienced that. I know I've experienced that. So the disciples being embarrassed, they don't want to be embarrassed anymore, so they pull Jesus aside privately. And here's what the next verse says, is that they took Jesus to the side privately and they asked him this question. Why could we not do what you just did? Why could we not drive out that demon? We want to know the reason why we couldn't do that. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you can't do that because that's the Son of God. But it was Jesus who said in the Gospel of John that for those that are in Christ Jesus, we will do even greater things. So Jesus gave us all the authority. Come on, somebody help me preach. He gave us the authority to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And can I tell you, that's what this kind of church is. We believe in the power of laying on hands. We believe that sick people can be well. Come on, do you believe that? We believe that God can restore the broken and healing can happen. So you've got power. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're filled with the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe you're wondering, why don't I see miracles like what I read about in the Bible? It's what the disciples wanted to know. Why couldn't we do what you did? And Jesus says this in verse number 20. He said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you that if you would just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd be able to say this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Now I want to show you verse number 21 because this is critical to our conversation today and next Sunday. Before I show you verse number 21, let me tell you this. A good number of the modern translation of, Bi of the Bible omit verse 21. If you look at the older translation, the older text, like the King James Version, you'll see verse number 21. But some of the, the more contemporary translations of Scripture, verse 21 is omitted. It's not there. And here's why. It's because those that were writing, they weren't sure if verse 21 was a part of the original, original manuscript. But I'm going to show you verse number 21 because there is enough validity to the verse to prove that this is accurate and it is from God. Does that make sense? So I just wanted to set that up for you. Verse 21, again, he says, you got to have faith the size of a mustard seed. You can say to a mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And watch this. And then he says, but this kind of miracle, what I just did, what you just saw, 
casting out a demon? Watch. This only happens by what? Prayer and fasting. Say it with me. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. By a show of hands, how many of you in this room, online Germantown, in this year, 2022, you've got some kind of miracle that you need God to do? Let me see your hand. Some kind of miracle. All right, hands down. I don't mean what I'm about to say to be disrespectful to any profession that I talk about because I respect whatever vocation that, that you do. But some miracles that you and I need, let's say it'd be a, a, a healing in our body, that type of miracle doctors won't be able to provide. That type of healing miracle can only come by prayer and fasting. Can I get an amen? Come on. Um, if you've got a, a, a miracle in your marriage that you need, that miracle that needs to happen in your marriage, a counselor may not be able to give you the next steps. It can only come by saying, you know, I'm going to sacrifice. We're going to pray. We're going to pray our way through this valley, and we're going to come out through it stronger, more victorious, and healthier as husband and wife. Uh, listen to me. The financial miracle you need, a bank won't be able to provide for you the answer. But Jehovah Jireh can. Come on, somebody. And so that financial miracle can happen by prayer and fasting. The point is this, is that there are some miracles that can only happen by your willingness to be disciplined to practice prayer and fasting. When I was reading this verse in preparation for the next two Sundays specifically, here's what the Holy Spirit reminded me of. Watch this. You and I will never be able to do what Jesus did publicly until we do what Jesus did privately. Say that, pastor. The things that Jesus did, and he said, you and I will do even greater things. The reason that we're not seeing those miracles, those signs, those wonders, is because we are not willing to really do what Jesus did privately. We are an unbelieving and perverted generation. And I'm not trying to give a spiritual spanking to the whole room, but it's a true statement that until we are willing to sacrifice and seek the face of God more than anything else, then we're going to be stuck. So watch this. Do the disciplines of prayer and fasting, because he talked about that. He said this miracle can only come by prayer and fasting. He talked about the unbelief. He talked about the perversion. So watch this. The discipline of prayer, that's how we connect to the heart of God. When you pray, and we're going to talk a lot about prayer today. When you pray, you connect right to the heart of God. But when you fast, you disconnect from the things of the world. You disconnect from the perversion of this world. And that's why when you pair these two disciplines together, supernatural things happen because you connect to the great power source and you unplug from the trash of this world. Come on, how many of you know there's a bunch of trash in this world? We can, get, we can fast Netflix and social media and so many other different things to just disconnect from the things of this world and get connected to the very heart of God. So that's the conversation for the next two weeks. Today, let's talk about prayer. Let me show you a quote here because, again, Jesus did what he did publicly because of his commitment to the private disciplines. So Leonard Ravenhill, a very famous English Christian evangelist, here was a quote that he gave many, many years ago. Watch this. A little lengthy, but I want you to see it. He says, the scriptures say that the disciples went to bed, but Jesus went to pray. And this was his custom. It was his custom, Jesus, to pray. Now, Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah. 
and he was definitely anointed for his ministry. But if Jesus needed all that time in prayer, don't you and I need time in prayer? Come on, somebody. If Jesus needed prayer in every crisis, don't you and I need prayer in every crisis? So you've got Jesus, the son of God, chosen by God to be the savior of this world. And yet he knew about the power of the disciplines of prayer and fasting. And if Jesus, the chosen one, would operate in those private disciplines, how much more do you and I need it? Look at somebody and say, you need it because you ain't Jesus. Come on, just tell them that. And let me give you three truths about prayer here. I want you to write these down. Come on, take some notes today. Three truths about the discipline of prayer. Here's the first one. Prayer is just spiritual conversation with God. It's spiritual communication between you and God. I wasn't going to say this, and I don't, I'll have to go back and watch the first gathering. I don't think I said this to the first group. It's because I like you all better. Come on, somebody, how's that? I was wrestling all week with, does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? So let me kind of set that up for a moment. Whenever you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a, a son of God or a daughter of God. Watch this. You now are given the right to pray. And prayer is a privilege. And as a believer, you have access to God 24-7, 365. You can pray at any time about anything. And watch this. God hears your prayer. The God that you serve is a God that is alive. He's not a dead God. He's not a buried God. He's not a statue God. Come on. So when you pray to God, God hears your prayer. But what about those who are unbelievers? And then I had this thought, well, the only reason an unbeliever would pray would be one of two reasons. Either they're confessing and repenting of their sin so that they can be accepted into the family of God and into the kingdom of God. Or if they're really unbelievers, they're just praying because they're superstitious. But if you are a Christian, now you have a weapon. 2 Corinthians 10.4 talks about how the weapons that we fight with, we as Christians, are not the weapons of this world, but they are mighty to pull down strongholds. There's something about the discipline of fasting here in prayer, and prayer specifically is just conversation with God. It's you carving out time to talk to God. And watch this. And not just talk to God, but this is going to be the most spiritual thing you hear in any sermon from any pastor around the world at any church. Watch this. Don't just talk to God, but then zip it and listen to God talk to you. I'm very guilty of in my prayer time just making all of my requests known to God and then giving God no time to even speak back to me. Prayer is a two-way conversation. It's me talking and then me listening. Does that make sense? It's just conversation between you and God. And if you have a relationship with God, now you have the right and the privilege to pray. It was the great theologian, M.C. Hammer, that said, you got to pray just to make it today. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so prayer is just spiritual conversation. It's just spiritual communication. It's carving out time for you to talk to God and then allowing God to talk to you. Here's the second truth about prayer. Prayer shouldn't be complicated. I think a lot of people are intimidated by the discipline of prayer because they feel like they don't have the right words to say. God is not, listen, if you're trying to impress God with your sophisticated and scintillating dialect and rhetoric, you'll never impress God. God doesn't care about how you pray. God just wants you to pray. 
over and over again, the Bible talks about how we're to approach Jesus like little children. I've got an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. As a matter of fact, in three weeks, my son's going to be 12, which is just absolutely crazy. I can't believe how old Kimberly is getting. But anyway, <laughs> I got two kids, and, and my kids, they always, they always need something. They always want something. Come on, parents. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, the answer to their need can be right beside them, but they need mom or dad to help them get that very thing. That's literally, it's like, bud, it's right there. It's just, it's right. But I need, I need your help. When my kids have a request, they don't try to impress us with their speech. Oh, I, I don't even know what I would do if, if my son was like, oh, father, thy most wonderful father. My appetite is quite hungry for something more than my mind can experience. Do you mind opening the cupboard of abundance and blessing me with the provision of all of the work of thy... I think I'd punch them, to be honest. Like, what are you doing, man? No, you know what my kids say when they want something? It's like this. Can we get Chick-fil-A? I want Chick-fil-A. And watch this. As a mom, as a dad, if the request is, is you know, valid, we give them what they need not because we're impressed by how they're asking, but because we love them. We're hungry. Could you imagine if my little girl came in and was like, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, say it to impress me. <laughs> you don't eat until you say a new word. <laughs> be a terrible father. I think sometimes when we try to overcomplicate our prayer life with God, hoping that we tap into some hyper-spiritual you know, when I get around people, maybe this is a little too transparent. Whenever I get around people that are praying and they start using all of these words, I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. One of the greatest prayers I ever heard, and I've told you this story a couple years ago, was when Kimberly and I were youth pastoring at one of the first churches. And we wanted to get students to come. And so we started this van ministry, this bus ministry. So we went out into the neighborhood and we started picking up kids from all over with parental permission. Come on, somebody. It's not like we rolled up in a van like, hey, get in. <laughs> Going to church, you know, but so with parental permission and, and really we had hundreds of kids that were coming to the youth group because of this bus ministry, this van ministry, which anytime that you begin a ministry like that, you're gonna attract all kinds of, of people and families and students uh, on the spiritual faith spectrum. Like you'll get some kids that know about church and know about God and then other kids that have never even been to church, but it's something for them to do and to be a part of. So anyway, this one night we had busted in a bunch of kids and, you know, I gave the message and at the end we brought all the kids together in the altar and I had us all hold hands, this pre-COVID, miss those days, you know. And I said, you know what, because there was a lot of stuff going on at that time. I was like, you know what, tonight we need to curse the devil, or curse the devil. Well, one boy in that group, this is a true story, by the way. He was like, you sorry son of a beep. It, for the next 30 seconds, it was like the Jerry Springer show. Every cuss word that that kid to think of, he just said cuss word after cuss word after cuss. It was the most powerful prayer <laughs> I have ever heard, man. I've not tried it yet, but come on. There are sometimes the devil makes me that mad. Come on, somebody. But you know what? That kid, he just thought, hey, you want to curse the devil? I know some words now. <laughs> Don't overcomplicate this. Be genuine, be sincere. Don't cuss. But just be honest and heartfelt. That's when you get the attention of God. It's not when you're praying just to check off some religious obligation. 
Like, I'm, I'm going to pray because, well, I want to check it off today because I'm a Christian. Now, as a matter of fact, watch this, because that kind of ties into this next thought. Prayer doesn't always change the circumstance. But real prayer, genuine prayer, heartfelt prayer, and that will change you. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me explain it to you like this. Every prayer that you ever pray, God's going to answer. How about that? Every prayer that you pray, God will answer. And he answers it one of three ways. Yes, no, or oh, wait. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I love the yes answers, and I can, I can handle the no answers, but it's the wait. It's that waiting season that's really hard. But God's going to answer every prayer that you pray with a yes, or with a no, or with a wait. And can I tell you that in this new year, as you, you know, really just practice this discipline of prayer, when you get into those moments where you pray to God for something and he answered it opposite of the way that you've been praying, and listen to me, that is going to happen. Can I tell you that his ways aren't like your ways? His thoughts aren't like your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. God is in control and he's sovereign and he's got a perfect plan for you. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. But it's going to be a yes, it's going to be a no, it's going to be a wait. And then there are going to be times where God doesn't give you what you want. And you'll think in that moment, God, you've messed it all up. You've made a mistake. You should have done it my way. But for those of you that are holding hands or you got your arm around your spouse, you know that God's no is a good thing. Or you could have been married to that other girl <laughs> or to that other guy. And you've seen them on Facebook. God saved you. God spared you. She's cray-cray. Now, she ain't even crazy. She's just cray-cray. Come on. God knows what he's doing. So when you pray, the circumstance may not change. But watch this, real genuine prayer, not prayer out of obligation, not religious prayer, but that prayer will change you. When you're sincere in your prayer life, it does something to your heart. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed for someone that has just gotten on my nerves. Now, you didn't say amen, so I guess I'm the only one that's ever happened to but just somebody has bothered me, frustrated me, annoyed me. Can I get one person that's ever felt that way about somebody? Okay, good. Because for a moment there, I thought I passed for a bunch of liars. <laughs> and here's what's so funny is that when I pray for that person, my prayer doesn't always change the attitude of the individual. But I can't be sincere in my prayer and keep hating that person. So that person's attitude, and this is just one example. That person's attitude may not change. But my attitude changes because prayer changes us. As a matter of fact, this isn't on the fancy TV, but write this thought down. To pray is to change. It's the whole point here. I don't want to pray prayers that keep me in the same place. I want to learn how to pray so that God can change me. As a matter of fact, if you look at, and this is how we'll close the day. If you look at Psalm 139. Let's go there real quick. Psalm 139 is one long prayer by David. And David is saying this prayer or writing this prayer based off of the allegations that he's not really loyal to God, that he's not really committed to God. And it's bothered him. So all of Psalm 139 here is David's response to these accusations that he's not really committed to God, that he's not truly loyal to God. And when you read all of Psalm 139, one thing that you'll see surface is David's intentional description 
of how important intimacy with God should be in every aspect of your life. And he talks about that over and over again, that intimacy with God should be a top priority in every single area of your life. But then when you get to verse 23 and 24, and this is where I wanna close today, watch this. If you don't pray anything else in this year, pray these two verses right here. Pray these two verses. Watch what he says. He says this, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's read this together. Can we do that? Come on, one, two, three. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a beautiful prayer. And as you cultivate that discipline of praying, I'm challenging you, don't, don't pray this every day out of some tradition, but pray this out of the sincerity of your heart. Watch this. Let's, let's break it down in four parts because that's how he prays it. The first one is this, search me and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. Let me tell you, if you wanna have a pure heart, a genuine heart, a humble heart, a heart of conviction, or you wanna be a man or a woman of, of high character and integrity and morals, then this is the prayer that you have to pray. God, search me from the top of my head to the bottoms of my feet. Search me and know my heart. Acts 13 verse 22, I believe, talks about how God considers David to be a man after his own heart heart. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is the most deceitful thing. So whatever your aspirations are in this new year, whatever your goals are in this new year, out of the abundance of the heart. So it starts with the spiritual condition of your heart. So David says, all right, search me and know my heart. And this is the way that you get a pure heart and you can live a life of high character and integrity and conviction and be and be authentic and real and genuine. And then he says this, verse number 23, the second half, test me and know my anxiety. So the prayer that he's praying here is this, all right, Lord, now reveal my fears. Look, I don't care how tough you are, everybody's afraid of something. We've all got some type of anxiety or insecurity or fear. And this is rhetorical, but you know, what are you afraid of? Some of you are afraid of, of spiders and snakes. I don't want none to do with a snake, come on. Some of you, you watch a movie and it's a little intense. So before you go to the bathroom, you look behind the shower curtain. Come on, just admit that, that's you. You got that little fear. You know, every night you make sure all the alarms are on and the security cameras and the doors are locked. You got this little bit of anxiety. Uh, maybe, maybe though it's, it's an even different level. Like you fear being alone for the rest of your life. I don't know if I'll ever find the right one and get married or maybe you're divorced or widowed. I don't know if I'll ever find someone else and spend the rest of my life with them. Maybe you fear your future or you fear the unknown or maybe here today, you're just thinking a lot about eternity and you're afraid of death. So in this prayer, you're saying, God, reveal my fears. And again, not on the TV, but here's why this is important that God reveals your fears. 
Because what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. Did you hear that? Because what you fear the most will reveal where you trust God the least. And now you can determine, at least you've got an area of your life that you can say, okay, now I, now I can grow from here. Now, I don't know what your perspective of me is or your thoughts of me, and, and I don't need to know that. That's okay. But even standing up here, like I, I have some real anxieties. I have some great fears. I always fear every Sunday when I walk out on this stage that I'm going to mess up and say something dumb or forget all of the preparation that I've done and you'll never come back as a, as a husband or a dad. I always fear like, am I doing enough? Am I being enough? Am I providing enough? You know, obviously my kids don't have great grammar. They always just ask what they want without impressing me. Full circle. Uh, we all got fears, but those fears, once they're revealed, now allow me to see, well, those are the areas that I've got work to do in this year to trust God more. Does that make sense? Search me, know my heart, reveal my fears. Watch what he says in the next verse. He says, see if there's any offensive way in me. Now we're praying, okay, God, uncover the sins in my life. You hear me say this often because you need to know, secret sin is still sin. And unrepentant sin, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Listen to me. It is our human instinct by nature when we mess up, when we do something wrong to try to cover it up. Because we're afraid, it's the fear, we're afraid that the truth might expose us in a negative way and we'll have to face the consequences of whatever the error is. Can I just tell you, and this is such, a, this is such an elementary principle, again, having two kids, like I'm trying to teach them this now, but at 41 years old, like I'm still learning that, man, when you try to cover up your mistakes, you only make it worse. Because then you've got to create another lie or another story to cover the previous one. So what David is saying here is like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to cover up my sins. Jesus didn't die on the cross, shed his innocent blood to cover up sin. He died on the cross so that the blood of Jesus could wash your sins away. Come on, somebody. That's good. That's good. To wash your sins away. We started reading the Bible together yesterday. Chronologically, we got in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In Genesis 3, we see where Adam and Eve, they fall to temptation in the Garden of Eden, and they eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge. They were forbidden to eat from, from that particular tree. And if you know that chapter, you know what happens immediately after they eat of the fruit. They both realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. And the Bible says verbatim that they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Well, then of course they hide, which let me just say this to you. You can try to play hide and seek with God, but he'll always know where you are. You can run, but you can't hide, which is a good thing. So they try to hide from God in the garden. God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, Eve, where are you? They come out from their hiding places and God recognizes that they got clothes on. And he says to them, he says, hey, did you eat from that tree? I told you not to. And then the fall of man happens in the curse. From the very beginning of the first sin, it's been a part of our nature to cover up our sins. But listen to me, watch, everybody look up here, I'm almost done. God 
can't bless your unconfessed sin. God, you handcuff God when you try to keep your sin secret. And the only one that that's really hurting is you. Man, I'm running out of time. You got a few more minutes? Okay, good. I read an article this week of a man who died from cancer and on his deathbed, this is a true story, by the way, on his deathbed, moments before he breathed his last breath in front of his wife and his children, he confessed to being a world-famous bank robber that had been a fugitive for 40 years. Did anybody read that article? Anybody see that? Unbelievable. They're going to make a movie about it in a few years, so just hang on. And I thought, I wonder, now that's an extreme example, but I wonder how many of us were living with a false identity. We're not willing to confess our sins to God or to anybody else because we're afraid. Listen to me. John talks about that you must confess your sins and he is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. James, the half-brother of Jesus says, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. I'm sitting on this a little longer than I anticipated, but let me just say it to you like this. Don't hold on to that secret sin any longer in this year. Confess that sin and let God bless you. Even if there's consequences, now you'll come into alignment with God's grace and his favor. Solomon said it this way, watch. Let's read it together on three. One, two, three. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Do you receive that today? All right, let me give you one more thought here, and then we're done. Final part of verse 24. And David says, and lead me in the way everlasting. This should be a daily prayer for me and you. Lord, today, lead my life. God, I need your help to lead my family I need your help to parent my kids. Come on, you pray this prayer too, Lord. I need your help to be a better husband. God, I need your help to be a better pastor. Maybe your prayers, Lord, I need you to lead my life in this season of being single or this season of being a widow. God, I need your power to lead me with my decisions and my actions. God, I need your grace to lead me in my business, my company, my work, my finances. Just lead my life in the way everlasting. Jesus said this, and we're almost done. Watch. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So, Lord, lead us in this new year. Where you go, I want to go. What you want me to do, I want to do. Lord, whatever door you open up, lead my life through that door. I want to be a vessel just willing to be used by you, God. My life is not about gaining things for self-promotion or pomp and circumstance. My life is created to give it away, to be a blessing to others. So Lord, every day my prayer is to lead me 
lead me in the way everlasting. Come on, look up here real quick. Here's the verse again. Come on, say it. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me give you two closing questions here and then we'll pray. Here they are. So did the Holy Spirit speak anything to you today? Maybe you've been tuning me out for the last 40 minutes. I don't blame you. But don't tune out the voice of God. God wants to speak something to you today before you leave. And you ought to write that down. And then the second challenging question is this. So what next steps do you need to take in this faith journey? It doesn't matter if you've been serving God five minutes or 50 years. All of us have a next step. Maybe for some of you, it's jumping into that deeper 21 for the next three weeks or reading that Bible with us through that Bible app. Or maybe it's checking out a small group or using your gifts to serve on a team. Or maybe it's trying God in the area of finances this year and practicing good stewardship and tithing. It's literally why we have a next steps counter in the lobby so that you can take that next step. Or maybe, and we try to close out every gathering with this, and this is how I'm gonna close and pray. Maybe you've not yet accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Or maybe you wanna make sure in this new year that you start off in a right relationship with God. That is the most important next step. So every head bowed, every eye closed. I wanna count to three, Germantown Online. If you wanna commit your life to Christ for the very first time, or you wanna recommit your life to the Lord today, don't leave here without that next step. All of you have a next step. I don't have time to pray over each next step, but if your next step is to say yes to Jesus, here's that moment to raise your hand out of obedience. You ready? One, two, three. Come on, hands up. Thank you. I see you in the blue. Thank you. Somebody else, keep it up just so I can see you. Thank you. All the way in the back. Thank you. All the way in the back of this room on the left. Anybody else? Thank you. Right in the middle. Others, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Oh, to God be the glory. Thank you, sir. Both hands lifted. Bless you, friend. All right, I want everybody to take your hands, hold them over your heart, and just pray a prayer. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for being a God that hears me when I pray this prayer of confession and repentance. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. This is my next step. So I invite you, Lord, to sit on the throne of my heart. And now, upon the profession of my faith, I'm asking you, to make me a new person, to come into my heart and my mind, and I give you my life. And I'm asking that in this year that you would search me, that you would know me, that you would reveal my fears, that you would uncover my sins, and that you would lead every day of my life. I give you my all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the whole church said yes and amen. And you erupted in a round of applause. Come on, church.